Uh, this woman on Instagram, she goes by the handle of at Jackie Todd. And her whole account is full of these, like, role-playing different characters at home. Like, right? And in this particular reel, if you guys need a visual of what we're talking about here, like, she has one. Um, And the caption says, you know, me pretending I'm a Victorian child when mom asks me to complete a minor task. And the whole, her whole voiceover afterwards, she has to take out the garbage. But she's like, Another ta- impossible task from Madame Flitterbottom. Nothing has been the same since my mother was trampled in a tragic horse carriage accident. <laughs> and it's video it's of her just do. taking out the garbage. Yeah. Yes. It's literally so- what we've done since childhood. And it's fantastic. I love it. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 126. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are continuing our discussion on imagination. Last week, we started chatting about the importance of our imaginations in our interior faith lives. How the creative creator God gives us our imaginations to serve as a tool to bring us deeper into relationship with him. But our imaginations also extend and impact so many other areas of our lives, from science to philosophy to doing our laundry on a random simple Tuesday. But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and a review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to all of you for helping us to reach 200,000 downloads of the Modern Lady podcast. We are so grateful for the time you've spent listening to us, chatting with us, and supporting us. We were so excited to reach this milestone this week, and we are just so honored to have been able to share these past 100 or so episodes with you. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Welcome back to our little look into flag etiquette. Last week, we talked about cantons and caskets, and I quickly realized that there is just so much more to learn. Let's jump right into learning about flagpoles. So both the Canadian and American flags must be flown on their own flagpoles. Flagpoles can be split into three categories, exterior permanent poles, exterior portable poles, and interior poles. There are very strict requirements for how high up the pole must be for different sized flags. I won't share with you all of the numbers on the chart that I looked at, but for example, a flag that is 1.40 times 2.80 meters has to be hung on a pole that is between 9 to 10.5 meters high. Now, if you are using an interior flagpole, the wind won't be blowing the flag around, so there is the option to add something called a flag spreader, which helps to improve the appearance of the flag. Now, what is a finial? It is a device attached to the top of a flagpole. We also use finials at the top of lamps, attached to the harp, and at the ends of curtain rods. When a flag is displayed indoors, the pole needs a finial at the top. 
There are four options, a sphere, a maple leaf, an acorn, or a spear point. The types of flags that require a finial are the national flag of Canada, the provincial flags, the flag of the governor general, and the lieutenant governors, and the territorial commissioners. Interestingly, flags flown on interior poles from other countries are not to have the maple leaf finial on top. What about a car pennant? That is the small flag you see attached to the cars of dignitaries and the prime minister. These flags are only to be flown on a moving vehicle when the dignitary is inside of the vehicle. It is to be placed on the front right fender, which is technically the passenger side of the vehicle. Only the prime minister is allowed to have the national flag flying on his vehicle. The flag rules for ships and boats is so extensive that I could speak for another 10 minutes just about that topic. So I'll just share this really cool piece of trivia. During wartime or acts of maritime piracy, ships will often fly the flag of an allied nation in order to deceive the vessel they plan on attacking. It is only at the moment of attack when they hoist their proper flag, and this is where the saying, to show one's true colors, comes from. Now, I really thought that we would be finished with flag etiquette this episode, but I still haven't talked about the dipping of a flag, half-masting, and how to properly dispose of a flag, so this will have to continue on to next week. Mm, okay, a three-parter on flags. <laughs> Who, Who knew? Who yes. knew? <laughs> of all the tips that we've done, it would be the flags that would yes. be a three-parter. Um, I just can't get over like this <laughs> that the acorn <laughs> yeah, is one right? of the four acceptable finials, the mighty acorn. Yeah. Um, but it can't be used for anything else. <laughs> As the mighty, the maple leaf can't. Yes, the maple leaf can only be used for the Canadian flag. Oh, okay, but yes, you can that, use an acorn for anything else. I think else. you could use the acorn for other international flags. Okay. Um, <laughs> if they and want I, you know, to. I didn't even look into American finial rules. Like we couldn't even mm, go there today. The Canadian right. finials took up a large enough section. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, tons more to flag etiquette than I had ever realized. And now I'm glad that now that we're looking into it, the next time we find ourselves flanking a flag, I will have all these things running rapidly through my mind. Italian physician and educator Maria Montessori once said of imagination that it, quote, does not become great until human beings, given the courage and the strength, use it to create, end quote. When it comes to all the advancements in the world, one thing is certainly true. It probably started as a figment of someone's imagination. And one field where that is especially true is in literature, right, Lindsay? Yes. So last week we talked a lot about that homily from the Census Fidelium YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. uh, we joked it could make an episode all on its own and, and it did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we also listened to an excellent talk by um, Peter Kreeft, who is a very well-respected professor of philosophy and author of over 80 books. Now he is particularly loved in the Catholic world, um, but he also talked about two of the most beloved authors of all time and they're actually their best friends too. And their beliefs about the power of imagination. And I think it'll be no surprise to any of our listeners that he talked about Tolkien and C.S. Mm. Lewis, right? Mm -hmm. um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, when he talked about Tolkien, he said that um, the invention of the adjective is what really helps spur along imagination within humans. Mm -hmm. 
that adding adjectives to our storytelling, to our writing, he said, there's no spell more potent in stirring up imagination that we can take the colors of the earth, like the blue of the sky or the green of the grass, and we can apply those colors to things that aren't naturally those colors. I mean, that takes imagination. Um, mm-hmm. and, and using adjectives, we can make heavy things light. And he said, you can turn lead into gold. Um, and so it's just that the adding of the adjective into our language, right? It just can change how we completely can envision things in our brains. Mm-hmm. And then about C.S. Lewis, he's, Lewis said, imagination is the organ of meaning. Um, he said that both true and false ideas must be meaningful and <laughs> that mm. through imagination, we create the meaning, we apply it. Um, and then we can use reason to, and then determine if that idea is true or false, but we have to apply meaning to things. And that is a very active imagination. And as a total cute anecdotal story, they were talking about how C.S. Lewis came up with Narnia since childhood, he had had this vision, this image in his head of a fawn carrying parcels. And he kept seeing this for years, like mm-hmm. years and years and years. Yes. And then finally, one day when he reached adulthood, I think he was 40. He's like, okay, I said, I've got to write a story about this, this fawn. Yeah. And that's becomes the Chronicles of Narnia. So it's just incredible how that image was there that he actually really doesn't claim to have any um, control over. It just had popped into his head. And then he talks about how all of a sudden this lion appears and there's no shaking this lion <laughs> in mm. his imagination as soon as Aslan was on the scene. So just incredible when you, when you really look at um, very creative people, especially like, thinking, thinking about everything Tolkien did, writing Lord of the Rings and creating the entire universe, right? Like mm-hmm. just our capacity to do this is just mind blowing. Yes. And you're right. Like there are no two bigger giants, I feel like mm-hmm. we could find in the literary world who had such an impact on our imaginations even. Yes. Like yes. their imaginations have fed countless imaginations for like decades. Um, And so we owe so much to Tolkien and to C.S. Lewis. But I loved what you said. You talked a little bit about ascribing meaning, like Mm -hmm. um, how imagination helps us to put meaning and to infuse meaning and purpose into our Mm -hmm. lives and that we need it for that reason. Um, Because I was reading an article from Psychology Today. And they were talking about that when we imagine things, what we are actually doing is we are assigning uh, form, pattern, and significance to things that we sense. Mm -hmm. But then it's this act of then reflecting them back onto those things themselves. And that's what's helping us apply meaning and purpose to the things that we sense. And the converse, if we did not do that, I guess the thought is, that we would risk life being void of meaning. It would just be like an endless stream of sense impressions. Right. Kind of like, yeah. And it made me kind of think of like how um, technology is kind of going in the sense of like trying to create artificial intelligence and things like that. I would imagine, yeah, I would imagine how that's how they program computers to be quote unquote smart or intelligent is they're just reacting to sensory impressions but because of our imaginations that unique human quality we're able to project back our um our sense of them our significance of them that we've formed in our minds and that is what informs us of the deeper meaning of life Mm -hmm. you know and this 
just starts bringing us um, out of the theological uh, thoughts about mm. imagination and into the other areas of life that are impacted by imagination. Um, you know, as we were talking about with artificial intelligence, uh, imagination has helped uh, a lot of different areas in society advance, right? Mm. If you think about it, the whole scientific field is advanced because of imagination it's based in hypotheses right everything we know scientifically started out with somebody sitting there thinking I wonder (laughs) why it is (laughs) I wonder what would happen or what if or what if I did this or what it that is science science is wildly imaginative if you think about it And then philosophy uses imagination all the time. And this is where I went down a rabbit hole. I texted you this morning. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, don't know if I can get out of this one. (laughs) Because it brought up the whole concept of philosophical thought exercises. Um, Things like this one. I just have to tell you this one. It's called the brain in the vat theory. Mm. Have you ever Mm -hmm. heard this? Is it? You have? is it if your if your brain is separated from you and it's in the vat? Is it does it still determine if it's you? Like kind is that of, who so... you are? Are you are you a collection of your memories or if, yeah? If your vein was uh, uh, yeah, I, I remember studying this I think in philosophy in university, but that was over yeah. twenty years ago. So um, <laughs> actually twenty. Well, you're kind years of there. Ago. Okay, okay, take me yeah. back. <laughs> It is basically the theory of, or the question, basically, like, um, it presents the possibility that we are all, and we don't believe this, by the way, as Christians Mm -hmm. and as Catholics, but that we are disembodied brains floating Mm -hmm. in a vat of nutrients that are essentially keeping the brain alive. But all the things we're experiencing, yeah, are being actually manually inputted into our brains via, like, electrode, like, pulses and wires and things like that and the theory is that like as the brain itself you would have no way of knowing the difference whether you Mm -hmm. are in a vat or whether you're actually like living in a body does that make sense and I was reading this and I was like oh my goodness I would read that book Mm, (laughs) I would watch that movie and I think I have and I think it's called The Matrix Um, (laughs) right or like another thought exercise is like the trolley problem um, which is more of an ethical thought exercise but it uses your imagination to come to the to come to moral and ethical conclusions this one basically says like if there's a runaway trolley and there are five people on the track Right. And you can't get to them in time to get them off the track, but you are near the switch that would reroute the trolley. The only problem is in that reroute, there is still one person on that reroute track. What do you do? Is one life more less important than saving five? Like yeah. um, all of these things, this is imagination. It's asking you to presuppose things that you're not actually sensing in real life, but you have to call to mind. And um, in terms of philosophy, this is what's taking people deep into those questions of moral and ethics, and it's actually forming other parts of our lives in our conscience. And so imagination has powerfully impacted how we've come and where we're going to go um, outside of theology in in the fields of science and psychology and philosophy. 
And this is my fear, right? That our dependence on these phones in our hands to fill our brains with headlines and clickbait and quick reels and stories is that we're not doing that deep thinking. That is ultimately mm. what it is. It's deep thinking, right? Spending yeah. time like really processing through all that, using your brain in that way. Um, that we're just us, the average person, we're forgetting how to do that. Like you present those questions or those theories. And to me, that's dinner table talk. Like that's, yeah. that's right. That's the kind of stuff that we should really be talking about with our friends and with our kids and stuff. And that's so like it's campfire just, yeah. at 11 PM type of talk. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's just this idea of doing really, really deep thinking and how that's that's how we got here and I am very worried about the level of deep thinking that may or may not be happening. That's actually a really interesting point about technology. Just thinking about how because it's been such a rapid onslaught, right? Um mm-hmm. that we actually don't even have a full generation yet to really yeah. study the effects of the impact technology may have had on our imagination. But psychologists and scientists are obviously they're they're trying to study this as best they can anyways and I do see um they talk a lot about like distraction like there's a lot of distraction like what you're saying we can't sink into these deep kinds of thoughts for any length of time mm-hmm. um I could also see how it would make us like lazy thinkers yeah. you know so <laughs> we can just google whatever we need to to figure out um but also too like uh in terms of coming up with stories talking about lewis and tolkien and stuff like that like why would we need to think up our own stories (laughs) and imagination someone else can tell us what to think um and then yeah it just the whole issue of instant gratification versus us like working for our thoughts and our ideas and for our problem solving or even our pleasure and leisure, um, all of that is kind of getting really skewed just by the immediacy and loudness, I think, of technology. Yeah, I think I agree with you that the main concern, I think, is that immediacy is this like short, quick bits of information. I'm thinking particularly of TikTok. I'm thinking of watching Mm. my eldest use that app. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. it. It has sparked a lot of conversations, thankfully, in our home because we are very aware of, of you know, what she's consuming. Um, but it, it's like it's just this, that constant quick scrolling, right, with the finger right. of like taking it's the same thing as reels on Instagram or YouTube shorts or any of the, they all have that type of quick scrolling, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, just jumping so quickly between story and story and not being able to process deeply. But then on the flip side, so much of the things that have helped you and I with our personal imagination, mm-hmm. like Laziki and Jonah Jinton and Hammy Mommy that have like really helped like us um, use our imaginations more broadly internationally, yeah. right? Like how we've seen other cultures living. I was saying this to Jason the other day, no other time in history could you look at the everyday lives of people around the world unless you're an anthropologist traveling around the world by boat and studying it right we get these peaks into the everyday domestic life of people that was rarely recorded in history and so what a great opportunity it is to have that again if we use technology as a tool instead of Mm -hmm. letting it dominate us yeah actually that's a that's such a good point because even technological advances themselves yeah are wildly creative. You think of yes, how much yes. we actually, yeah, how much we actually have now. Um, let's use automation, automatic doors, 
for yeah. example. Um, and you think back even a, a couple of decades ago or a few decades ago when I, I remember someone telling me about Star Trek, mm-hmm. like on the set of Star Trek, they didn't have the technology to do that. They actually had people standing in the wings <laughs> opening the doors so that they would automatically open, right? And making that whoosh sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know who made the whoosh, <laughs> whose job that was. <laughs> yeah. But, oh my gosh, that started out as a creative, imaginary, imaginative thing that yeah. someone creatively and imaginatively figured out how to make into reality. That's yeah. technology, right? And so uh, everything even still going forward, like we have, um, you know, regardless of our thoughts of where things like virtual reality is going to go, yeah. my goodness, like that just existed in someone's imagination, not even yeah. too long ago. So you're right. Like technology is um, a both and thing again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I guess it really comes down to how we use it. Another way that imagination is used in psychology is about helping people overcome fear and anxiety-related disorders. Um, There's an awesome study done by the University of Colorado Boulder, um, and the researchers there said that they believe that imagination is a really powerful tool in treatment. Quote, Mm. This research confirms that imagination is a neurological reality that can impact our brains and bodies in ways that matter for our well-being. Now, that was said by Tor Weger, who's the director of the Cognitive and Effective Neuroscience Laboratory at CU Boulder. And they were talking about how one in three people in the United States have anxiety disorders, including phobias, and 8% of people have an actual post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis. Um, They've been doing exposure therapy, right, to things you're scared of for a while now. Um, But they used to think that exposing yourself to it and then like forcing yourself to imagine something good um, to like switch your emotion from fear to something good was the way to overcome it. And what they're finding Mm. out now is it's actually the opposite, that you imagine the threat um, and you feel it and you move away from the negative consequences, but you don't try to switch it to anything like good. You just um, allow your um, you permit yourself to imagine. You use your imagination mm. constructively to shape what your brain learns about it, and you just like lean into it. And then you can—they're finding that people can heal um, much better than trying to flip the script in that sense. That's interesting. So that you're using your imagination not to avoid a problem, mm-hmm. but oh, okay. So basically, they're using it as a thought exercise. Yes, right? exactly. They're, yes. they're leading you in an imaginative thought exercise to problem solve something yes. that is um, amiss, right? And so I really like that. I just read an Instagram post today and I don't remember who posted it, but they were talking about confronting your fears and mm. how as a child, this person was afraid of lightning or thunder mm. or something like that. And what their mother did to help them was not to try to like divert her attention she actually got more books from the library Mm. about what that is what is lightning what is thunder and she said the more you know about something the you know the stronger you'll be to confront it and so I think that that is an example of forming your imagination right so that the next time something happens and this is what you're saying with the therapy um and the visualization of of solving a problem is that you're kind of arming yourself in your own imagination of what could come. And so that yes. fear of the unknown is taken out of the equation. You can approach things more rationally and logically then. 
But all of this talk about how psychology uses the imagination to deal with um, some of the like the darker aspects of imagination, like that's interesting to me too, um, to consider how like it could actually go the other way, right? Imagination we've talked about can lead to so many advances and have benefits, but then there's also uh, aspects that we need to be wary of too, right? Yeah, I, I I really have been thinking about it as like the dark side of imagination. When I threw mm. this to uh, my friends on Instagram, so many of them wrote to me about how they don't use their imagination for the good things that you and I do, the playful things. Uh, their imagination goes to the dark place. Um, very mm. active imaginations about thinking about the worst things that can happen. Um, and I instantly got what they were talking about because that's called catastrophic thinking. And it's something that I've struggled with as well. Like we always joke about the pendulum being able to go so far one way, right. And then so far the other way. And right. so my personally, my imagination goes so far in the fun way in the creative way that it can also go so far to the, to the dark place. So I started looking into catastrophic thinking and it is a category of distorted thinking. And according to psychology today, it's also called magnifying because it involves mm. magnifying things way out of proportion. And it can also be a result of anxiety or or I guess and or the cause of anxiety. Now it is different mm. than anxiety though. There's a fascinating explanation about this from the Buddha, and he doesn't talk about it oh. in terms of catastrophic thinking, but he talks about the first and second arrows. Now, basically, the first arrow is something inconvenient that happens to all of us every day, like a burnt out light bulb or a computer issue. And sometimes we can be bombarded with a lot of first arrows throughout mm -hmm. a day, right? We can have a bad day, but they're just like mm -hmm. little inconveniences. Now, the issue is the second arrow, and this is the one we shoot ourselves with. So we make Ooh. the issue far worse when we do this to ourselves because we create worst case scenarios from the other not so bad first arrows. So is that making sense so far? Yes, I'm following first, second arrow. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so it's like when we get into that habit of then taking those minor inconveniences and then making it the be all end all. And this is a habit. This is a habitual response we create over years. Um, sometimes it's a trauma response. Sometimes mm. it's because of your job. So I was just talking with a, a friend who works with Jason. They're both police officers. And we were talking about how police officers literally see the worst case scenarios in every scenario, it's always right. the worst case scenario all day long. So while 99 times um, the thing can turn out fine, they see that one time. And that one time is every call they go on, right? All day long. Mm -hmm. So that becomes their default. And because it's my world too, it's mine. Now, I was a catastrophic thinker before policing, but I'm really realizing right. how that has continued to negatively impact that, right? So mm -hmm. you can try to combat this and it is worth working on um, by the simple act of just saying, stop, stop mm. to yourself. That one word can interrupt your thought process. Um, I, as a Catholic, I don't use the word stop, but I, when I, my brain starts going there, I turn to the divine mercy and I say, Jesus, I trust in you. And Michelle, mm. I am not exaggerating when I say that I can feel my heart rate slow down. I actually feel feel it slow down and I can mm -hmm. feel the blood slow down in my veins. Like, you know, when you can feel it pumping through your veins, I have yes. an, almost an immediate 
calm down when I say, Jesus, I trust in you. So it is worth trying to combat. It is worth trying to break this habit. Uh, it, we can do this. Mm-hmm. I can see how it would put so much stress, like just um, living in a kind of a constant fight or flight. Yeah. Um, yeah. State. Right. Yeah. Um, with catastrophic thinking, especially if the danger and this is the definition of imagination, even if there's like no sensory input, like your mind is conjuring it right. without any actual aspect that that That's is right. like exactly imagination. That's right. Um, so I love that. And I do love that prayer that you brought that up because I know I have I have felt that, too, in stressful situations. It is real. <laughs> yeah. It right. Is. Um, it, and I experienced that with even, uh, the surrender novena praying mm. like, Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Yeah. And then I just feel like it takes care of like all bases, <laughs> take care yeah. of it all. Um, but you're right. It is, uh, it, it's not a state that God wants us to live in. Oh, so you're right. right. It, it's good for us to kind of try to take that in hand if that's something we struggle with. Well, I was just thinking if the word stop is powerful in a psychological sense, imagine calling on the holy name of Jesus, right? Like it's worth mm. trying even if you're not a believer. Call on his name. If we think yeah. that the, we could say the word stop and it helps, then what's the harm if you don't sure. believe in it? Calling on his name and seeing what it can do as well. Now, speaking of it, does it help? Does catastrophic thinking help? Um we talked earlier about researchers and how they are finding great results and allowing people to play through those scenarios and encouraging them, mm -hmm. right, to feel the feelings, to go deep into their fears. And I've also heard some interesting theories about how our dreams uh, allow us to do that as well, that that's sometimes or perhaps the reason we have dreams, um, mm. especially the bad dreams about things happening to our spouse or our kids. Um, some people have suggested that it's like a dress rehearsal kind of for our feelings to to feel those things. Um, right. Now, Michelle, my dreams last night involved Justin Trudeau <laughs> buying me a new kilt for my Catholic high school uniform from 25 <laughs> years ago. And at the same time, I was uh, carrying around the Blessed Virgin Mary like the Mandalorian carries around Baby Yoda in his arms. So I don't know what that one <laughs> <laughs> was wanting me to to run through uh wow yeah. <laughs> there's a lot happening there's in a that lot whole happening. scenario <laughs> uh all of that to say i am highly imaginative right and so i'm either imagining all the great things or all the catastrophic things and then my brain is running through a lot of crazy scenarios every night too so my brain is tired yeah <laughs> but this reminds me again and we've talked about this so many times that if we're going to run through those scenarios or if we do it without thinking and we're always like hey what's the worst thing that could happen like it could happen but again, mm -hmm. I think that we can flip it. What is the best thing that could happen? And what if it does happen? And it might happen. So for yeah. those of us who go to that place, let's remember to always swing back and think, okay, what is the best case scenario? Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be the key to it as well, that maybe if you're tending towards the worst case scenario type of thinking, mm -hmm. um, thinking the best, like the the wildest, best possible outcome yeah, might seem like such a far-fetched thing that could happen to you that you could then apply that logic to your yeah. worst case scenario thinking too. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, if the best case scenario would be super nice, but I mean, one in a million chance that's actually going to happen. Yeah. And then you can think, well, wait a minute, I guess yep. 
that could also be applied to the worst case scenario as well. The same odds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's really just, um, you know what it is? It's like kind of what we talked about last week, too. It's a way of us practicing the control, the self-control and the discipline over something that is very natural and God-given, right? Like just because it's there and because it has good use doesn't mean that it um, has permission to just run wild and rampant yeah. like yeah. so many of our other very good God-given um, tendencies and desires, it, it often needs to be educated and worked on and strengthened and yeah, disciplined. And our imagination is no different. Yeah. Now you and I wanted to look at like children because clearly children are imaginative little beings, right? I think almost Mm -hmm. every child is. And so one of the things, because again, you and I have such active imaginations and we thought all adults do, we were shocked to find out that they don't. And so we're like, well, when does (laughs) it stop? And so we started looking into children, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was looking at certain sources. I, I don't know if you found similar age ranges, but I was looking at like pretend play for children beginning around like as early as 15 months old Mm -hmm. and then in another source in other sources it was saying anywhere between like nine ages nine ten eleven ish that's kind of when it all peaks and then starts to diminish into the teenage years the whole um worldscape they're talking about the worldscape imagination where you just are so immersed in this other world when you play Do you remember mm-hmm. what that feels like? I can so clearly yes, recall do. what that feels like, yes. right? <laughs> and it was a wonderful place to be in childhood mm-hmm. when you could go sink into that worldscape. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to look into was like Maria Montessori's techniques. My kids never did Montessori, but mm. I've always had a fondness for her. And it was like, I won't even say we were Montessori adjacent because I didn't really learn any <laughs> of the things. I just, it was like inspired by the spirit of Maria Montessori. So <laughs> when I was homeschooling and the way I raised my kids, but um, I really agree with so many of her theories. And so she took the position that children's senses should be educated first and then their intellect. And in the Montessori method, children use everyday actual objects for their real and intended purposes. So they play with kitchen things in a kitchen, like they use them for the right things. But that's where she says imagination does start. Montessori believed that imagination starts from contact with reality. And then we'll see imagination in children grow when they're given open-ended activities, otherwise known as free play. And Mm. that you provide children with what she called the loose parts, just like buttons, blocks, tin cans, strips of fabric. But you're not to place any ideas in the kids' heads on how to use these things. Children will come up with a game. And I think every parent has uttered the Mm -hmm. words, these words at some point um, when they've had little kids. Why do we even buy them them toys, right? They love the box (laughs) more. (laughs) We know that kids love those things. (laughs) So yeah, when do we stop doing that? So you pinpointed as we enter into the teenage years. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an article on Forbes.com that it really happens when we become, quote, good at life, which means that you can perform Mm. your daily tasks well. We have already formed thought techniques that we have used in daily life. They've proven successful for us. Um, They've helped us navigate tricky waters. Like we don't really need to be 
imaginative anymore when we've kind of figured out how to live life, what works for us every day. So we actually kind of close down that part of our brain because we already think we know what we need to do to be successful at work or within relationships. Hmm. Oh, that is so interesting. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, does the fact that I still like my imagination mean that <laughs> I'm not good at life? <laughs> I'm I know, not yet me good too. at life. <laughs> then we are not good at life together. <laughs> yeah. But oh, well, it goes on to explain yeah. that this there are people who choose to remain creative, who choose creative professions. Oh, okay. And while you and I um, don't make a lot from this podcast, we're very thankful for every penny we've made. Um, we have chosen a, a profession that is a creative one, right? Yeah. And the article finishes by talking about people who choose creative professions. And it says, quote, this is a lifestyle choice to stay in the uncomfortable territory of the unknown. And then somebody messaged me about this and who said, like, and I love this point, that isn't it wonderful that we can tap back into our childhood skill of imagination mm-hmm. to help us with our faith, to have that childlike faith, to have, to at any point, we can go back there if we allow ourselves to. And as we've been understanding, it is incredibly beneficial in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You're right. I guess it's never like we can never get rid of our imagination. Mm-mm. We just may choose not to use it or to engage yeah. it. But the fact yeah. that it's always there means, yeah, that we can call it to to use whenever we do have need of it or we want to as adults. Yes. And so I'm getting a ton of feedback now since I posted about this this morning on social media. And one person said that they really fear that it's atrophied within them because they haven't been using it. And like mm. we're saying, it does pop up when we when we don't even think we're using it. But that idea of being intentional about using your imagination, um, that it perhaps has atrophied, but we can develop it. We can work on it. And so this last part, you and I want to talk about how we strongly believe that it is what has made us be happy homemakers. Where when Mm. we're doing our chores and the things that other people look at as drudgery, as imagination killers, um, we love like Mm -hmm. (laughs) in our, in in your head, in my head, I'm, you know, Cinderella and like the mice around me have little shirts on as I'm sweeping. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And I want to be really clear that while there is definitely like an escapism aspect, and I think that there is, it's not because I don't want to be here. It's an, it's a, it's a romantic escapism. It's not that I, I I want to be here so much, but I believe that it can enhance those chores. So to just go off my brain a little bit as I'm doing my homemaking duties. Right. And I actually, I thought about this too, as we were doing our research, because I was starting to think sometimes, especially in the theological talk about it, I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. is the fact that I pretend like I'm like a pioneer on the frontier (laughs) carrying my basket of laundry in from the windswept plains, like Mm -hmm. a bad thing when I'm bringing my laundry upstairs? (laughs) Right. Um, I'm not living in the present moment. This was our like call out right earlier in the episode. Um, But I think the difference between the two things of like pure escapism and what we're alluding to what we do is that we are still doing our duties mm-hmm. <laughs> right yes. like we actually are still doing what we're meant to be doing in the yes. present moment we're just like um embellishing it we're just uh making it 
yeah, just, I don't know how to describe it. We're just like elevating it. We're ennobling we're, it. Yes, we're ennobling it. <laughs> Actually, I got a message yeah. and I want to read it. I, I, I just got permission to read this from somebody on Instagram and okay. her Instagram name is um, Galadriel Morse. And so she wrote, I'm so fascinated by the topic of imagination. It's sort of my line of work. I'm an early childhood educator and I consider the work Mm. I do to be an art form, creating worlds for children to feel safe and be inspired. As adults, we think we can step into the world of child's play, but we can't. Instead, we have to step into our own imaginary play. It's like modeling it for children, singing while Mm. we wipe the dishes, noticing beauty all around us and making a simple life, um, making simple life a game in a sense. And that's exactly what you and I believe, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. And there's like the whole idea of romanticizing your life. Mm-hmm. is actually like I found a lot of videos of that on YouTube and I think that's what she's saying is like uh, finding ways to creatively elevate the things you have to do every day yes even if it's like sitting down for a cup of tea how yep. are you going to romanticize that um, yes. like why not why not yes. you pull out the fine china put put on some beautiful background music open the window and let the breeze like blow your hair a little bit as you sip like romanticize yeah. your life a little bit and um that really strengthens your imagination and it provides a lot of uh, joy and i was reflecting on this too like why do we do this is it yeah to escape and it's not like what you're saying I think it's to just infuse more joy and like rightly ordered pleasure in exactly where we're meant to be in life yes rightly ordered pleasure and I actually want to sing the praises of Instagram for this believe it or not so although social media I think has done a lot of harm um I know that for people like me I'll admit that with the advent of um so of Instagram in particular and a lot Mm -hmm. of people taking pictures and photos of their everyday things whether it's something you've baked or how you've set like made your bed (laughs) anything that you've done mm-hmm. add a little bit beauty of beauty to um i think sometimes we take we let's say you're serving tea and you've baked something so you might normally just put it on your regular plates and not to think but but then you think well if i'm gonna put it on instagram <laughs> i'm gonna do it a little right. bit nicer get out the prettier dishes and take a little picture and and th- to me this isn't faking it actually it's prompting you to do that a little bit better and then you actually it does feel better it does taste better tea tastes better out of pretty little teacups I really believe Mm -hmm. it and so I think that sometimes some of us and I'll admit to this needed that little spark of sharing it sometimes to be like I'm going to go that little extra step but I'm always rewarded by doing that extra step because it isn't just superficial like I do it and I go no that Mm -hmm. was nice right To, to elevate it a little bit to make it more romantic. Um, and there are no limits to that, to romanticizing your life. Like I have complete control over my whole day of how, um, (laughs) what world I want it to be as I'm cleaning that day. And as I'm working through, and it has truly been a joy, truly, Mm -hmm. it has changed my approach to all of the little tasks. We're going to have to clean that toilet no matter what, right? We have to wash those dishes. We have to fold that laundry. So where my mind goes while I'm doing those things, um, 
is 100% up to me. And what we're trying to encourage here is that our mind is lifted upwards, right? And that we unite mm-hmm. it with God and all of these things. Um, but that, yeah, we have, we can't escape the duties, but we can shape the internal environment that we are working within, even if it's just for us, just a little precious space that we've carved out within our own brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might have to scrub the toilets, but we can scrub the toilets like one of the maids from Downton Abbey. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> that somehow somehow makes it better. <laughs> Some Yeah, elevated. <laughs> so in doing my research, I found a great list of eight ways to engage your imagination as an adult. And this comes from the website 9billionschools.org. So let's go through these eight ways. Okay, Michelle, and we'll... Okay. Uh, I think you and I are already doing these, but <laughs> we'll okay. <see. laughs> Ooh, a personality test. I love yes. these. We'll see if we pass. If you've or not. done six out of eight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the first one is to set goals. Now, you and I talk about this all the time, right? This is how mm. we get ourselves. We use our imagination in setting goals to get ourselves excited when we set new goals and try new things. Um, yes. You and I imagine that we are embarking on something new and adventurous and that it's an experiment. So we definitely see this idea of setting goals as a great way to spark your imagination. And it goes back to actually one of the things we were just talking about with best and worst case scenarios for this mm-hmm. one. They suggest that you use your imagination to examine how it will feel if you succeed in your goals, right? Like what would your life look like if you actually accomplish that goal? Yeah, I was actually going to say that sounds a lot like visualization, right? Right. How um, even athletes use that to train and then they'll go and they'll like as I guess it's like a meditation tool. They'll like actually imagine themselves winning or winning. Yeah, reaching their athletic goals. And so, yeah, oh my goodness, that would be so great to even do just like (laughs) on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. How great will it feel? Actually, we do this right tonight when I can sit down and I did manage to get like at least that sitting room tidied up and the laundry done. Imagine how that's going to feel. Okay, that's going to motivate me to work even harder. I never thought of it as an exercise in imagination before, but there you go. Set goals. There you go. And the second thing is pick up a new hobby. Again, we love this. Mm, I think mm -hmm. more people are creative than they think they are. Being creative through home decor, playing an Mm. instrument, photography, right? Even just taking pictures with your phone. Um, These things can really help boost your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And even um, I was thinking too about problem solving. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's not a hobby per se, but um, (laughs) it kind of is for busy moms. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking along the lines of like, um, how many creative solutions do people have to come up with on the fly, especially if you're a mother? And that's why I think my point was tagging on to your um, people are more creative than they think they are point, right? It's like you can, if you're MacGyvering your way through your day, Mm -hmm. you are a creative person. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to apply that to a, specifically creative activity like a hobby um that would be a great exercise and i can see how the two scenarios would play off of each other too in strengthening your imagination yes and then the third thing actually is a lot in alignment with what you were just talking about but it's role play um Mm. now they talk about it in terms of doing this at work right? Like either yeah. uh, how you learn how to do that for interview prep. Um, but I was just thinking about like how we can use that 
all day long in our heads um, <laughs> and imagining different scenarios and different outcomes. Like I do, <laughs> we do do this. Yeah. Yeah. And how um, that I'm suddenly Ma Ingalls or you are, right? Or we're yeah. from a Jane Austen novel <laughs> when we're on the moors, which is just like the field behind my house. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like that kind of role playing. So I know that they were talking about it and just like imagining how conversations with your coworkers um, would, would oh. turn out. And yeah, that okay. makes sense. That's a, that's a great skill to use. And you need to use your imagination. But yeah, you and I are like role play. <laughs> we're different <laughs> characters all day long. <laughs> Get out the aprons. Yes. <laughs> um, and actually, that reminds me of the Instagram reel that I just sent you yesterday, mm-hmm. which actually my sister sent me too, right? Remember this, um, this woman on Instagram, she goes by the handle of at Jackie Todd. And her whole account is full of these, like, role-playing different characters at home. Like, right? And in this particular reel, if you guys need a visual of what we're talking about here, like, she has one. Um, And the caption says, you know, me pretending I'm a Victorian child when mom asks me to complete a minor task. And the whole, her whole voiceover afterwards, she has to take out the garbage. But she's like, another impossible task from Madame Flitterbottom. Nothing has been the same since my mother was trampled in a tragic horse carriage accident. (laughs) And it's video of her just taking out the garbage. Yes. It's literally what we've done since childhood. And it's fantastic. I love it. Yep. Yep. So role play. Role play is so good, whether it's your conversations at work or with Mrs. Flitterbottom. You can do whatever you need to. (laughs) And if people think we're crazy, don't pretend like you don't think you're a chef on a TV show when you're cooking your dinner, because I think everyone has done that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so true. Now, the next thing is improvise. And I thought, okay, this one is super cool because it suggests, Mm. oh, this is so hard for me. I'm so type A. It suggests like living an entire day without a to-do list, like just be spontaneous, ready for anything. Mm -hmm. So the next one, obviously you and I are huge fans of reading books, right? Mm. I I really, I, I don't know if I've said this before, but when I was talking with friends on Instagram about this, it really does seem that the people who love to read, um, or people who love movies are are the people Mm -hmm. with the most active imagination. So clearly, I mean, I haven't done a scientific study on it, but there definitely seems to be a link (laughs) between active readers and movie watchers and active imaginations. Mm-hmm. And this makes sense because you're inputting information for your brain to draw on later when yeah. the sensory input isn't there, right? So the more you read, the more you watch movies, the more ideas and characters and places and scenarios are just in that bank in your yeah. head. And actually, that brings up an interesting point, a bit of a sidestep here. But we were just talking about churches yes. before we started recording, right? Yeah. And how... um your church that you guys go to is a basilica and it's gorgeous and it's Mm -hmm. stunning uh, with all stained glass windows and it's architecture and all those things. And we were just saying like, even if your mind wanted to wander, it wouldn't wander far from God. (laughs) Yeah. When you're (laughs) at church. Yep. Yeah. When you're in that church because of all the input that's coming into your brain. So truly it is like whatever you are saturated in, um, that is going to be a great pool for your brain then to draw on when you may not even actually be there or you're maybe not even actually reading that book. That's where the information is coming from. 
And this is why we'll make the case over and over again, the case for beauty, especially beauty in church architecture. Because yep. think about, I've watched this over and over again at the churches we've attended that have murals all on the ceiling, right? Painted ceilings, um, mm -hmm. the stained glass windows, the way the color Oh, the reflection of the color of this dappled sunlight coming through and then painting these like watercolors on the walls from the windows. And you watch babies and toddlers and young children. They're fixated on all of this imagery around them at the church. And we call this a silent catechesis because mm. when you're looking at some of these paintings, these images from the life of Christ, uh, they might not know that Bible story at four or five, but their imaginations are going, going, what is mm. happening in that image, right? It's so important that we have that beauty around us, especially at church. Like you said, God gave us these imaginations. We can't control them all the time, but it definitely can help um, zero in on what we're supposed to be thinking about when you're at yeah. church and you have that imagery around you. Mm-hmm. And one point about um, the reading of books and, and picturing the location and the characters and what their voices sound like. and all, That's why I think it can be so painful for so many of us then to watch the film adaptation, right, of right. the books we've read. Because we're like, <laughs> that is true. not at all how we imagined it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't look like that. That's right. Or, yeah, that's not where I imagined that. Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting too. My daughter Claire just told me yesterday that she's reading a book and she's like, you know, sometimes when I'm reading a book, I picture the house that they're living in as one of our houses. Mm, like yeah. in the family. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, that is such an interesting trick of the imagination." Yeah. But to your point, if she then watches a film adaptation of that book, she's going to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's like a disconnect there that you have to get over. For it sure. can be crushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now the next thing is journaling. I mean, this seems so mm. obvious too, right? Um, now, I actually just took this blurb right from the article. So it says, quote, writing your thoughts down, whether in a journal or on a blog, allows you to re-explore your day and notice things that may have passed by you the first time. You record and rejoice in the highlights of your days and mm. understand why you reacted to things the way you did to certain events and maybe imagine how you would do things differently in the future end quote wow i've actually never considered that aspect of journaling before mm -hmm. and how it can help form our imaginations i wonder if that's part of the appeal of social media yes like your yes, instagram account is like yep yeah like a digital journal Yep. That's exactly what I use Instagram for. And that's why I love for me is um, when I write under my Instagram posts, it is an act of creativity. I either see something I want to take a photo of and then the words like meld with it. I can't really explain the process. Um, mm -hmm. But it is a way for me to re-explore. I love that. Re-explore a moment um, of taking the photo and then, yeah, which words match up with that, that feel like, you know, I want to express. And again, I'm thankful for social media for giving me that outlet. Now, this next one I love, and it's to think like a child. Um, I feel like I did this really well with homeschooling. Uh, homeschooling mm. is an excellent opportunity because you have to think of how you're going to teach your children things. And so you have to put yourself in their, yes. in their heads, right? Um, to be creative, to like convey the information to them. But also you have these long days of watching how your children learn, how they think, um, and, and like rainy days and fort building. You just have so much more time to do that kind of imaginative play with your kids to help them learn how to do those things. Kids don't just know how to do those things. As the homeschooling mm -hmm. parent, you really guide them. Um, but yeah, just in, in teaching them, I really feel like 
thinking like a child is one of the greatest gifts of motherhood. Mm-hmm. That is such a good point. And I am learning that like firsthand now in our homeschooling journey too. And being yeah. like what you're saying, it is, it's a saturation of a different kind. Yes. <laughs> right. And um, when you're conversing with children and it doesn't have to be homeschooling either, like just talking to a child that you'll ta- be talking about the same topic. Yeah. But they say something so wildly (laughs) different than where you were going with it. And you're like, is that how you see that? I love that. Or that's amazing. Or that's the part that stuck out to you. You're right. And because they're not, I guess, because a child's minds, they're not really limited by um, so much of the reality that we are limited by as we grow older. social conventions, right? Yeah. They don't self-edit like we do. Yes. Yeah. So to them, it's like, um, well, a lot of the world doesn't make sense. So what's to say this (laughs) highly imaginative thought is any less right or wrong than, you know, something that we might think is the correct way of thinking. Um, So yeah, thinking like a child, that's something I feel like as mothers, we we probably do without thinking about it. That's right. Also, one of those things that the more aware we are of it, you can actually really lean into it and experience it in a in a really deep way. And the last one is to ask more questions. Again, love Mm. this one. I have some friends who are just natural interviewers um, and they're just really good at asking questions of others, seeking to understand. Um, and again, this is something I do with my kids all the time to get their brains going, especially when you're out on a walk, right? It's a lot mm-hmm. of, well, who do you think lives there? What's their story? Um, and it's particularly magical at night. We do a lot of nighttime walks in our family because um, the, the way the light glows through the windows, you can see little glimpses of everyday life without being creepy. Um, <laughs> I try too yeah. much to look into people's houses. Um, mm-hmm. But really getting their brains going like that, it just really is exciting for me because in my head, I'm always asking questions, which is what you and I do, right? Every rabbit hole we fall down is because mm. we have so many questions. Um, but yeah, teaching my kids how to also think in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Just to be the kind of a person who asks questions means that you have, um, you do have an imagination. You have curiosity, mm-hmm. right? About something that may not be tangibly obvious to you right in front of you in the moment. So you're already, by asking questions, you're already going beyond what is right in front of your face. And I love that it's almost like, um, you know, the saying sleep begets sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's like questions beget questions. <laughs> like, yes, they do. <laughs> the more used to, to asking questions you are or thinking in that way, I really think that the more likely it is that you'll just start developing that as part of your lifestyle and your habit. And I think that's a beautiful way of engaging in conversations and developing empathy and really connecting with the other people and the environment around you. So all of this talk, all of this discussion around the topic of our imaginations, I think really points to a single focus that we're trying to really grasp here in our everyday lives. And that is to increase joy, authentic joy in our lives. And so in that regard, in our experience and in our humble opinions, I really think that we could find no greater ally in this pursuit of joy in our everyday lives than our own imaginations.
Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, I'm not sure if I've ever recommended this show before. And frankly, I actually feel a bit silly recommending it now because I'm sure everyone listening has already watched and enjoyed the show. But mm-hmm. I have been watching old seasons of The Great British Bake Off. Um, mm. Right? It's just a classic. <laughs> um, I decided to watch an entire season from start to finish. Um, previously, I had watched like clips or an episode here or there. Because I wanted to see the season where Nadia Hussein wins because I love her now and I never watched her on the show, right? I love her cookbook. I love her shows. Um, So I thought, oh, I'll start with her season, which is season six. Um, And I needed something to watch while I was on the treadmill every single day to get me enough of like a cliffhanger to get me onto the treadmill every day. Um, (laughs) And so, and it needed to be around 60 minutes. So this fit the bill. Now I've been able to watch all of the episodes for free on the CBC gem app. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't need you know, to have cable or anything with CBC to get that app. Um, I had forgotten how calming and pleasant and just enjoyable it is to watch. It really does help like with the 60 minutes of speed walking. Um, (laughs) Now that I finished season six, I am watching season five. So I'm totally out of order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like the comfort food of television, right? And then just beware that you will probably go like I did on the weekend and buy a whole bunch of baked goods because you've been craving them all week and it pretty much undid all of the work I did on the treadmill. Uh, But such is life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I was going to ask, I'm like, oh, so like that's good to like watch something like that on a treadmill. I feel like I would just, I wouldn't even wait for the weekend. I just hop on the treadmill with my pastry <laughs> yes with pastry in one hand and working so out efficient with yes. yeah <laughs> so what yeah. have you been loving this week well i am going to recommend a book that i've actually already read a few years ago but recently started listening to again via audiobook mm-hmm. and it's called the first 40 days by hung oh um and like before i'm just finding it really fascinating So the book really focuses on the postpartum period after a woman gives birth. um, And like the title suggests, it's about 40 days after the birth of a child. Now, uh, the author, Hong Oh, she really focuses on Chinese customs because that's her heritage. But she's done great research throughout the book in how so many other cultures around the world also take care of and consider the new mother after she's given birth. Uh, which I'm finding so interesting because I think postpartum care can be a really complicated topic here mm-hmm. in North American culture. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting aspect of this book is that the author actually lives in Los Angeles. And so her mission is to actually marry what she's learned from her culture and try to adapt it for more of a Western lifestyle. Um you know, she sa- she says basically that the need for this kind of care is universal and it's never changed, but that it can and it does and it needs to look different for different parts of the world. So, um, you know, if postpartum care is a field that interests you like it does me, or you are expecting a baby or you know someone who's expecting a baby, then I really recommend that you read or listen to The First 40 Days by Hong Oh. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. 
If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.